So I do want to look at just a couple announcements to get started this evening, and then we will dive into our uh, study from last week that we began last week. We didn't quite get through that first week, so we're going to dive through that. So did you forget something there with your coat? You forgot something? Okay. That's an inside joke. Sorry. Um, For two reasons. One, because it's between Keith and I, and two, it's inside, so it's an inside joke. Okay, anyway, so... Ha, 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 ha. This is the material. It doesn't get much better. Okay, so a um, couple of announcements I want to get started with. So the first thing we talked about this morning in your bulletin, there was a um, nomination ballot like this that had the listing of all the officers that are going to be uh, or that have been nominated and will be voted on uh, this coming Sunday evening. After our evening service, we have our annual business meeting. And so we do want to encourage you, if you did not get one, uh, they'll be in the bulletins again next week. And so prayerfully between this Sunday and next Sunday, you'll be able to uh, get one of those. And so with that, we want to encourage you uh, more than anything, be praying over those names, praying over those individuals who are going to be nominated and voted on. Uh, Pray for the Lord's wisdom in all of that, obviously. And we're so thankful for our leaders and those that serve in leadership here from our deacons, trustees, uh, our treasurer, and our church clerk. And so we're so thankful for each one of them. Uh, Along with some other announcements, obviously, we do have our snack night tonight for any students that are here. They'll be hanging out after service in the fellowship there till fellowship hall there till nine o'clock. Uh, And then so also with that, we have our church membership class coming up. So if you have any questions on what it means to be a part of the church, get some more information about what we believe as a church, all those kind of things, uh, this is the great great way to do that, a best avenue for that. So that's going to be February 4th and February 11th at 4.30 p.m. right here at the church. And so this is for anyone that's interested to know more about our ministry, uh, us get to know you a little bit more, and that way we can answer some questions about what it is. That's coming up February 9th and 10th right here at the church. You can stay the whole two days. You can kind of come in go as you can. Uh, They will be doing a potluck dinner on Friday night, so you can bring a dish to pass there. And then again, there's more info at the Welcome Center. You can sign up before you leave tonight. Uh, Also, something else we're so excited about is our football Sunday. This is something we've done uh, for a few years now. So on Super Bowl Sunday, which is February 11th, we'll be doing something a little bit different in our morning service. And so just kind of having a little bit of fun with the whole Super Bowl feel and all of that. And so we encourage people to invite friends to that. Uh, There's usually a pretty good turnout for that. And then also, if you have any football attire, you're encouraged to wear that, jerseys or whatnot. And again, we'll do some fun things a little bit different than a normal Sunday. Um, But obviously, the biggest part of this is we would love for anyone that you may know that's unchurched, kind of out of church, not really interested, maybe they'll come for some like this, and they're into football, they're into that, and maybe that'll be a good draw for them, and we can share the gospel with them, and they can come to Christ. And so again, that's the real reason we're doing this, to have some fun in church, obviously, yes, but more importantly, to make sure we preach the gospel. So that's all going on here really, really soon. So today, we want to praise the Lord for those that were baptized this morning. Uh, We had three that were uh, baptized today, so so excited about that. Um, I got a text about 10 o'clock. Um, that there was going to be that third edition, and they said, um, I'm so sorry to spring this on you last minute. And I said, that's fine. Just bring something to change into in a towel, and we can do this thing. So, so, so excited for that. It was an awesome morning. Uh, so great to see so many family here for those that were being baptized as well. And uh, already been in communication with a couple of those families and, uh, or the individuals that those families were here to support. Uh, and they just shared how thankful they were that seeds were planted this morning and maybe some uh, unbelieving siblings and whatnot. So, so thankful for that. All right. So such a great morning. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, We are picking up in our study. So you can turn, if you would, to John chapter eight. So John chapter eight. And we're going to start there in just a moment. So some of you know that we did a study uh, through sort of kind of Daniel. It wasn't really a study through the book of Daniel so much as some of the things we saw in Daniel that helped us to develop some strong convictions as followers of Christ in a world that doesn't really hold to strong convictions. That study led me to the next study in the curriculum that we were using that is speaking to the idea of knowing the truth of Christ is the only way we can experience freedom. So we started this last week, and so this is kind of talking to the idea that when we know the truth of Christ, it will allow us to walk and live in freedom and to enjoy the presence of the Lord. And ultimately, this is so that when we live in our everyday life, that we're able to answer those tough questions, to share the truth of Christ with others around us, to not just preach the gospel, but maybe have some conversations about some tougher questions that maybe our family members or our friends might have. And so we looked last week a little bit. I'm not going to review too much. 
But we looked at the idea uh, going into John chapter 3, and we talked about some of the ways that Jesus approached that conversation with Nicodemus and talked about how he uh, revealed to Nicodemus that Jesus is the light and is the truth. Now, you went to John chapter 8, so I'm going to ask you to hold your spot there for just a moment. And as we talked about Jesus being the light and the truth, and that we can be guided by those things, that we need to be focused on those things, the truth and the light of Christ, not so much our emotions and our feelings at times, I want to go to Psalm 43. So put your finger there in in John 8 and go to Psalm 43. Now, I was in Psalm, uh, and just a little bit of an encouragement, if you're not doing something for your morning devotions or your morning Bible readings or however you're in the Word of God for the day, um, something that I've been doing now for a couple years that's really helped me is uh, I, I don't use a devotional book per se, nothing against those Bible study plans and those kind of things are great and, and they're all good. Um, but I found that what I started doing was I would just literally pick a Old Testament book And I would read through that, and I would kind of journal verse by verse what was going on. And then I would go to a New Testament book. And every morning I would read one chapter, and I would journal what's happening in that chapter. And then I would do that in my Christian walk lately, just to see the flow of God's word, the truth of God's word. And so I was in Psalms a while ago, and then I kind of took a break from Psalms. And if you don't know, the book of Psalms is divided into different kind of smaller books. And so I got back into what's considered book two of the book of Psalms. And I was reading through that here about a week and a half ago. And I I came across this Psalm and this passage, and I jotted it at the top of my notes. So I wanted to share it with you guys in relation to this idea of light and truth that we talked about Jesus being those things. So Psalm 43 and uh, verses one through five. So I'm just going to read those. I'll have some other volunteers read some verses in a moment. But Psalm 43, 1 through 5, I love this. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Now just pause there for a second. What's the psalmist feeling right now? What? (laughs) I was like, I don't know what that was. Was there a word mixed into that yawn or did it just kind of come out? Sad. I I heard sad. We'll go with sad. So good answer, Keith. Okay. What's the psalmist feeling? What emotions are you hearing in those first couple verses? Okay. Yeah. Forsaken. Some other translations might word some things differently. You might get a little bit of a different... Take on that. What else do we hear there? Okay. So he's oppressed by, he says the unjust man. Many think that this is referring to just general oppression from those coming against God's people, the wicked. And he feels like he's oppressed by them. They're all around him, right? And, and he, does, he, does he doubt God's strength or God's ability? No, no. He says right there, for thou art God of my strength. Like you're strong enough. But what does he feel? Even though I know you can do something about this, and even though I see the oppression of those around me, I'm forsaken, right? Like Avi said. What's another word for forsaken? Forgotten. So he feels forgotten. He feels like God isn't doing what God should do. He feels like there's so many things out of his control that God's not dealing with. Now let's go on to verse 3. And I, I read this, and I had to keep reading it that morning when I was in my reading. So I was just like, it was right after we started this study. It was amazing. It says, oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. So he's asking a plea of God. He says, God, I know you can, but I feel forgotten. So what's his response to feeling forgotten? What's his prayer request? Okay, send me light and truth. And then what are those two things going to do? Lead me. Where do they lead him to? Okay, to the Lord, to the Holy Hill. He says the tabernacle, you know, modernize this. Put it in New Testament language. Where's he going? He's going to church. He says, Lord, I feel all these things. I see all these things. I see the wickedness of people around me. But I I know you can send out your light and your truth, and they will lead me back to worship. And I absolutely love this. He's saying, I want to be led back to where I will worship you. 
Then he goes in verse 4. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God, my exceeding joy. Lay upon the harp, yea, upon the harp, will I praise thee, O God, my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Man, I love that psalm. You guys can go back to John 8, but we'll pick up there in just a moment. You see here the psalmist is saying, I feel one thing, right? I very much feel one thing. That's not the truth of what's going on. I see the wicked and I feel like God has forgotten me. And I know that's not true. And I'm asking God, God, would you draw me back into truth? Would you draw me back in with your light? And in so doing, lead me back into worship. And then he says what? So I can express that joy. I'm always amazed in scriptures where it talks about that we have joy that is deeper than our circumstances. See, joy is not happiness. When Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are you or blessed are you. He's not just saying be happy. He's referring to some kind of a deeper joy. It's a non-circumstantial joy. That means when things go completely against what you want and you have that joy. But notice he had to ask something. The joy was always there. God's presence is always there. God really didn't forget him, right? We know in Christ, does God forget us in Christ? Hebrews tells us very clearly, I will not forsake you. I'm not forgetting you. That doesn't stop us from feeling forgotten. When things don't go our way and we're like, God, I see all the wicked prospering and the righteous are suffering. That's not how this should work. And so here we see the psalmist, along with so many others in scripture, cry out and say, God, there's a difference between what I know to be true and what I'm feeling. I need you to change that. I need you to guide me back. And I'm so thankful that in Christ, we can pray that same prayer, knowing it's truth, that we do have all of this in Christ. And he gives us his word before us, his spirit in us to draw us back to him. And then when he draws us back, what do we do? We worship not the God we feel like worshiping, or not the God that we've made him to be. We worship the God that we know he is. God, I know you're in control. I know you're sovereign. I know you're good. I know you're gracious. So I'm just going to worship you because I know who you are, even though I don't feel that's true. So as we look at this text, I want to go back to John. I just had to share that because we talked about that idea of that, that light and truth. And we know in Christ, we have the greatest demonstration of that uh, light and truth of God. Jesus is the better everything, right? That's the whole point of Hebrews. Jesus is better than everything. He's the better Moses, the better law, the better covenant. He's the better everything. But I want to go to John chapter 8. So we're going to pick up on our little study here. We went from John 3 to John 8 in verses 31 and 32. So I'd love to get a volunteer that would like to read John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Renee, thank you very much. Okay, now there's a quoted verse. A lot of people quote that. Oh, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. I hear people not even connected with church or Jesus or anything quote that verse, right? It's just a popular, well-known saying. But I love that Jesus is so bold to say it, right? So here we see just a little bit of a, a background here. We understand the truth of Jesus sets us free to live, right? The truth of Jesus sets us free to live. On this occasion... Jesus was teaching in the temple. In John 8, 31, Jesus spoke directly to the Jews who believed in him, indicating that to become a true disciple, they must do more than just receive and believe in his truth. It would require that they live out that truth in their daily lives. They must receive his truth, love his truth, and live his truth. I love that the, the study pointed that out. They must receive his truth, love his truth, and live his truth. It's only when we obey God's teachings that we grow in our knowledge of him. And when we grow in our knowledge of God, we discover what it means to grow in freedom from sin. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Jesus is the only truth that can genuinely set us free. Now, we're going to get to just a moment here what this might look like, but what do some people think? And you hear that, you know the truth and the truth set you free. I'm a Christian, I'm free. 
how, does, how do some Christians apply that to their lives or think that means? What's that? Yep. Yeah. So there's no rules, right? There's no boundaries, right? I don't know if you guys remember this commercial. It was a Little Caesars commercial from a while back. I always think of this when I think of this. It's really weird, I know, but welcome to my weird brain. Um, I think about this, this commercial. The guy walks in, and I forget what the kind of the main point of the commercial really was, but it was something like about, you know, you can do this, you can do that, and the guy goes, There's, there are no rules, and he starts taking his shirt off. And they go, put your shirt back on. He goes, there's one rule, and he puts his shirt back on. I always think about that with the grace crowd, right? It's like they come in and they start realizing what grace really is, which is forgiveness of sin. And, and I don't have to work to gain forgiveness. And, and I'm, I'm free in Christ. And we start thinking, oh, there's no rules. Like I can do whatever I want and it's fine. I've actually had, and I don't know if you've ever had people tell you this, and especially nowadays, we went through this with our whole progressive Christianity study. I've had conversations with people that would tell me that because I'm saved, God doesn't see any sin that I ever commit as sin. He only sees the blood of Christ. So I can literally, I mean, this person's mindset was, I could literally do whatever I want, and there's no such thing as sin for me because I'm covered in the blood. And I kind of was shocked by this because this person was older than me, been saved a lot longer than me, seemed to have a fair grasp on God's word. And I said, well, well, doesn't the Bible say, do we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And he goes, well, yeah, but even if we do, it's fine. Like just completely dismissed it. And this is a believer, somebody that other people would have thought of as a mature believer. And again, there's this mindset out there that this freedom means free to do whatever I want. Just throw the grace card out there. It's fine. Throw the grace card out there. Now, how else, or rather, what are some other ways that this freedom is displayed in our lives. If that's kind of a, a misapplication of it, what are some other ways that this freedom can be applied to our lives? We are free in Christ. We can acknowledge that, and that's, that's a gift that God gives us. But how should that freedom be viewed in our lives as followers of Christ? Mm, that's so good. So we are freed from the, the pressure and the weight of trying to live perfect lives. We strive to sin not. We strive to honor God, but we aren't pressured. We don't feel that, that pressure to perform perfectly or God's going to cast us away and not love us and all that. Absolutely. Love that. Avi. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I love that. So we have the freedom to not sin, only given to us by grace and God's indwelling spirit. We have the freedom to repent, which is a wonderful gift, absolutely. Um, and, and we're free from that maybe fear of, you know, again, if I do stumble into sin, like, is God going to keep loving me? No, we're free from that. He, of course he loves us. What else, how else is that freedom applied to our lives?
Mm -hmm. in spite of what the world or our government would say. Mm -hmm. um, and, and having that freedom, yes, there will be consequences. Mm -hmm. There's a law that says that you can't and you choose to be obedient to God and not to man. But along with that freedom, um, if we're being obedient and God's led us to do that and we are seeking truth, he also gives us the courage, the comfort, and the internal joy, even though, like Paul, Right. Yeah. And, and whatever consequences those may be, social consequences or pressure, um, ridicule, physical um, persecution, verbal persecution, whatever it might be. Yeah. Right. Yep. Jail time, stuff like that. Yeah. So we are free to speak the truth, even when the truth may bring things that are uncomfortable in our culture today. Absolutely. And we need to speak the truth. Um, absolutely. And that truth is found in Christ, right? He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, right? Any other thoughts on how that freedom can be applied to our lives? Sandra? Well, he wrote a third of the New Testament, so it's probably a good guess. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. It, Paul understood the freedom. He wrote about it more than anyone else. And yet that freedom in Christ drove him to work, as we read this morning, harder than anyone else. He worked more than anyone else because he understood what that grace was. Right. Uh, a passage that comes to mind, and maybe it crossed your mind too, uh, Galatians chapter 5. Right? This is, again, Paul's writing here. So he says here, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. What does liberty mean? Not freedom. Right? We're free. Right? So he's been called unto liberty. So that means you have it. Then he says this, Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So what is one of the best applications of the freedom we have in Christ from the things we just talked about? Not to go and sin however I want, but I should use my freedoms to what? And my liberties to serve one another. So whether that's in the church or out of the church, that's a great application of this truth that Jesus spoke about here. Now go back to John 8. I'm sorry, that's Galatians 5. Uh, no, I'm going to look it up because I'm going to get it wrong. 5.13, yep. 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 So, and then if you go back to John 8, I absolutely love what Jesus says here. Because uh, this isn't a popular message, by the way. So he says here, John 8.31, the passage we read. It says, then he said to the Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we tend to think that... Once I just say a, a, a prayer of belief, I'm good. But James, and by the way, Jesus, and the apostle, and how we live our lives, we really never believed. And that's what Jesus is saying here. saying, you can say you believe. Avi alluded to James, right? The demons believe and tremble. Obviously, the demons are not going to be saved. And so the belief is not the key. We can believe in a God or a Jesus figure. But when we place our faith and trust in Christ and are saved... Now we live out that salvation evidenced by our good works so that the Father is glorified. Now again, the only requirement for salvation is faith, right? Faith, believing in the grace, receiving that grace, having our sins forgiven. Obedience, you could say repentance. I guess we'd say repentance is part of that faith because I'm expressing faith through repentance. But obedience is not a requirement to be saved, right? If I could be saved by my own obedience, I don't need grace. Because I can just obey all the law and be fine. Obedience is produced by the gospel, produced by grace. So now that I've repented and turned from my sins, I received Christ. Now I've been given the gift of obedience. Now I can obey, as Avi was alluding to, the word of God. I can choose to not give in to that sin temptation because God has given me that ability to do so. So again, we want to be careful here. Jesus is not teaching a works-based salvation. He's not saying, if you do everything I say, then I'll save you. He's saying, no, if you really believed, you will follow me genuinely and truly and live that out. 
Julie. Your desire out of love for him. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you have repented. Right. You have the Holy Spirit as well. Right. It's our faith is producing that in us, right? Now, as Avi alluded to, whether we actually live that out every single day perfectly, obviously we struggle with that. That's why there's still continued grace. But that's where I think a lot of Christians miss that. They go, well, because I can't do that, then that can't be what Jesus is teaching. I can't live perfectly, so that must not be what Jesus means. No, obviously God is going to give us grace unto salvation and sustaining grace unto uh, glory. And so we're redeemed ultimately. And that's why he saves us and keeps us in him and not us holding on to him. So, Keith, you had your hand up. Mm-hmm. To be able to endure temptations that come out of the flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is nothing on, in this planet that is going to make me stronger. Mm. And having that freedom to know that, okay, no amount of works, as delicious as they are, are going to defeat this temptation on this side of heaven. Right. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, and that's actually, I, I kind of think that's what Paul was alluding to when he said in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 19, or 15, when he said, this grace in me isn't worthless in vain, it's doing something in me. And then he said, I worked really hard, harder than all of them, but it wasn't really me working, it was grace in me working. And I think that's the idea. It's like, yeah, we're going to put effort into this, but I know I'm not, re- it's not really me doing this. It's Christ in me doing these things. It's Christ strengthening me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to fail miserably. Absolutely. Yep. And that's why I love that he says that in the passage, right? He says, if you believe in me and continue my word, then my disciples indeed continue in my word. That reminds us of John 15, right? Let my word abide in you as you abide in me. And what does that abiding produce? Fruit. That idea of abiding fruit from the working of Christ in us, right? Avi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah, yep. Absolutely. And I, and I love that word in the Greek, uh, workmanship, I think is the King James way it translates it. But the idea there is it's, it's where we get the idea of a poem in English. So literally, we're, we're God's living poem. We're, we're on display representing the glories of God, the grace of God, as we do those good works. Absolutely. Amen. Uh, let's continue. Uh, next couple of verses here as we continue through John 8. So we realize that the truth of Jesus sets us free to live. And then next, we're going to kind of, we kind of touched on this already a little bit. We're going to talk about this idea that the truth of Jesus sets us free from sin. So we just unpacked that a little bit connected with the, the question. Uh, John eight thirty three through 36. If I can get another volunteer that would like to read. John eight thirty three through 36. Who'd like to read that one for us? Sandra. Awesome. Okay, thank you. So, again, the truth of Jesus sets us free from sin. Uh, The Pharisees twisted Jesus' words. 
to make them mean something entirely different from what he meant. As Abraham's descendants, they indicated they were already free because they had enslaved. Thus, the Jewish people had a long history of being dominated, even enslaved. Thus, their meaning probably had more of a spiritual nuance. So it would be pretty silly for them to say, well, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in slavery to anybody. That, that's, that's the whole Old Testament, is you've been pretty much oppressed by everybody. Like, everybody's oppressed you at some time or another. Uh, the whole book of Judges is about constant oppression and groups coming in and overthrowing you. Uh, the Babylonian captivity, the Assyrian captivity. So your whole history is full of actual, literal slavery, or at least oppression. And so I like that the, the curriculum kind of points out they most likely weren't being that forgetful. What they were probably saying was that we've never been enslaved to anyone referring to their spiritual state. We've always been Abraham's descendants. Therefore, we're always blessed by God and in God. And so they viewed themselves as having an inner freedom simply because they were related to Abraham, where the descendants of Abraham were fine. Only through the truth of Jesus can we experience true freedom. They were very clear. Nope, we're so-and-so's descendants. We're good. Jesus actually makes a clear point of saying that's not true. And what does he say if you are in bondage to what? Sin. You're a slave of sin and you're not in charge of yourself. You're in bondage to the sin. He says there, and the servant of, I'm sorry, Jesus answered and said, verily, verily, say unto you, whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. So who on planet earth has committed sin? Yeah, all of us, everybody, right? And here's the thing, even Abraham's descendants, right? By the way, did Abraham commit sin? Yeah, a couple of times, right? Hey, no, it's cool. Just tell him you're my sister. It's fine. No, you can just leave the wife part off. It's fine. Don't worry about it, right? I always feel bad for Sarah at that point. Like, she's like, what, what, what do I do here? Because right? he's like, well, if you tell them, they'll kill me and they'll just take you. And she's probably like, well, that's not a good deal. I don't want to do that. So I guess I'll go with what your plan is. By the way, Abraham always had really bad ideas. So he never had a good, I don't know. But again, praise God because God used him in a tremendous way. And he's a lot like us, I'm sure, in a lot of ways. So here Jesus is saying, like, if you're, you're enslaved to this, you can't live free from this because you're actually in bondage to this sin. And again, in Christ, though, we can experience true freedom. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus is truth, not a truth, but the truth. So why do some people choose the slavery of sin to the freedom of Christ? Now, this is true, obviously, in the world sense, that there are those who are just blind to the things of Christ. But I would take it a step farther, and I would say that there are believers, people in Christ, that know, Avi alluded to this, know better, but maybe in a moment or for a short season, will actually choose but in Christ. And so why? Why do some people choose the slavery of sin to the freedom in Christ? Avi. To go with what you just said, I mean, I think it's because you're not believing the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that could be the worst advice on planet Earth is follow your heart, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we believe our emotions or whatever the desire we think or whatever we think that desire will fulfill versus what we know God's word is saying and is true, right? So we're ultimately saying I reject the truth of God and I'm accepting the lie of my emotions or that desire. Absolutely. Why else might people, Renee? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And it's immediate gratification, right? The spiritual life is a difficult life at times. And, and there's times that we see great joys and great blessings. But there's also times where we see seasons of struggle, right? And seeming seasons where the psalmist said it, God, you forgot us. But then we see the wicked just enjoying one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. And it's like, wow, they seem like they're having a lot more fun. It's a lot more enjoyable. They're more blessed. They're more, and we want that immediate feeling of gratitude or being gratified, right? And we know that's not what God would have for us. Because ultimately, what does the Bible give us examples of all the time about how great the presence of God is, how wonderful the presence of God is. And one day we will see what no eye has ever seen or ear has ever heard, right? We know that's true, but man, it's tough, right? So why else do sometimes people choose the slavery of sin over the, what we have, the freedom in Christ? Julie. Sure, sure. That's a good point. Okay, so yeah, so just merely a newer believer, not really in the word, maybe not really discipled, not understanding. Um, this could even be a habit they've had since before they were saved, and they're just, this is just how I live, this is just what I do. Yep. Okay. Okay, coasting through, drifting along, so just not really awakened to those greater truths of what freedom in Christ could look like. Absolutely, great point. Avi. I would even take, and I totally agree. That's why the Bible says that we need to really prayerfully consider, obviously, who we join in marriage with. And it needs to be a believer in Christ. Um, but I would take it a step farther. I think relationships in general. Um, I think when we grow close relationships with other people, we can very easily be swayed away from what we know is true. Um, because of whatever, uh, you know, um, approval, acceptance, um, whatever it might be. And so we're kind of pulled away from that. And we willingly walk into that. Because of that relationship or the, the influence that is over us, we're still 100% responsible, but it's, it's encouraged by that relationship. So we need to be very careful even in who we allow to have influence over us, right? Spiritual influence or just influence in general, right? In our decisions and our habits and our activities and all those kind of things, for sure. Now, what's the, what's the blessing in this? We don't have to live as slaves to sin, Right? Romans 6, the whole point of Romans 6 is that sin is dead to you and you are dead to sin. And every time I choose to make a sin decision, it's as though I'm going out to the cemetery, I'm digging up that old man, the old me, I'm strapping him to my back and I'm walking around as though everything's fine. Right? Keith, did you just have a question or were you just. I want to back up for a second. Okay. No, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the idea hit you. Like, it was like, he was like, I got it right here. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the, the part of the illustration I was going to emphasize is that we make those little decisions to go to the cemetery, to shovel of dirt here, a shovel of dirt there. Next thing you know, we've resurrected the old man. We've, we're now living and walking as though the old man is with us. Again. I mean, he's always is, but we're strapped onto him. We, spiritually, we stink. We're not pleasing. We're not an offering that's pleasing to the Lord in those moments. because the, And the Lord receives us as his children, but we're not living in a way that pleases him. And meanwhile, we've kind of got a little nose blind to the stench of the sin. And everyone around us, especially other believers, they're smelling it, they're seeing it, and they're like, what is happening here? And when we get called out on those things, sometimes what will happen is we'll go, what? You just said it. We look back and go, but we got to make a decision to look back. What's looking back? That's repentance. I'm turning away and looking back to where I should be. And so again, I think that's the part of the illustration that I I try to emphasize is that it's not a one-time thing. It's that willful decision of little things over time that lead to us walking around with this spiritual stench and we think we think we're fine because by the way a lot of believers are still when they're walking in that there's still a lot of them going through the motions of religion uh, they're still going to church they're still opening the word they're still sitting in the service and going mm-hmm, yep mm-hmm, that's good uh-huh, uh-huh mm-hmm. because in their mind and this is not just them and us don't get it wrong when i say this but our minds when we do this as well, whatever that sin is or those sins are, we've also justified those things up here where it's not really that big of a deal. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 Right. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, think about, I always think about this and he went down to see Delilah. Every step he took towards Delilah's house wasn't in and of itself sinful. But every step he took towards Delilah's house got him farther away from where he should have been. David and Bathsheba, it wasn't so much sinful for David to be on the roof. Now, he could have been somewhere else. But also remember that David wasn't necessarily required to be at war. He could have been and normally would have been for whatever reason wasn't. We don't really know why he wasn't. But it wasn't a sin for him to go up on the roof. It wasn't even a sin when he saw what he saw. The sin was when he indulged in what he saw and said, go get Bathsheba. That's when the problem started to take place. That's when the sin started to take over. So again, it's those little decisions that in of themselves aren't sinful. But man, is it really the best of where we should be? And I think that's the big thing that that we need to think about. It's if I'm walking with Christ as I should and living as I should, if I take a step over here, okay, I'm not in sin, but I need to be over here because this is where I should be. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Avi, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's the truth that's going to cleanse our consciences and clear our minds and help us out of that. Because it is so easy to, like, you know, just walk in with it, like, oh, it's just this one time, or oh, it's just this one thing, or it's just this, it's just with these justifications. Yeah. And you're allowing your sin, and then, right, exactly. Like, you're just a good, you know, to be on the side of the lake before you jump. Right. Yep. Sandra, you seem like you had a thought. You've got a thinking face on. So, so yeah, so if I willfully, if I willfully make a decision, I'm going to go over there and sin, then yes, I think, I think what, what we're kind of the, and again, it's an illustration, so let's be careful, but (laughs) no, 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 no. I think here's the, here's the difference. If I, for any reason, it could be ignorance. It could be, I'm not aware. I just haven't been discipled, whatever it might be. I'm not necessarily going over there to sin, but I'm just traveling through life and through little influences or little things, I'm being nudged that way. I don't really realize it maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not really aware of what's going on. Or I think I'm fine because I'm okay. Um, I guess I'll use the example like this. The Bible says to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. 
right? So if I choose to forsake the assembling of myself with the church, is that a sin? Yes. Yes. If the Bible says not to forsake the assembly, and I willfully make a decision to not assemble with the gathering, I'm sinning. That's what the Bible says, right? We're all on the same page. However, if I willfully go, I'm not going to church today, I don't care what the Bible says. Yes, I've sinned. That's willful rebellion. If, however, I'm influenced, maybe to skip a Sunday morning because we're doing something else as a group or somebody's going, we're going as friends. Okay, it is still a sin, but for me, I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there tonight. I'll be there next week. I'll be fine. So I think there's a level of knowledge that has to be involved in this as far as what I'm saying. It may still be sinful, but it, I'm not willfully engaging in that thing thinking I'm sinning because to me, it's just one Sunday. So that's where I guess I'm saying this with the illustration. I think it, there can be people who can be... Right, right. That God right, so, yes, yes. So that's where I was kind of going right, I'm just trying to point out that there could be, that little step isn't a big deal because, well, I, I'll just do this tomorrow. But I'm, what I'm saying is those little steps, when we don't pay attention that we're being guided over here, could lead us to greater, deeper sin, is what I'm saying. So yeah, that, that makes sense though. Any other thoughts? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah. And then they got in the habit, and then when I, you know, when they come, I could, situation a few weeks back, I saw somebody, and it's like, oh my word, have I been missing you because I've been teaching? It's so good to see you. Uh, no, we just got in the habit. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good way to say that. It's just, we got into the habit of not coming. Using that example. Mm hmm. Right, exactly. That little step that is, we use terms like innocent. It's not innocent, I guess, but could be considered then. Yep. Right. Yep. Keith. Right. Oh, this action isn't sinful in itself. In and of itself. It's not a big deal. And then that leads to the next action, which isn't sinful in itself. Right. 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 Wow, that's a, that was a great illustration. Uh, no, we're not talking about bacon cheeseburgers tonight. Terry. Right, yes. But we do have to remember that be, to be tempted isn't a sin. So we can be tempted to sin, and that in and of itself is not sinful. It's what do I do with the temptation? Either reject it, take that thought captive, and now I give it to the glory of God, or I engage that sinful temptation, and now I commit an act of sin. So Terry's got a thought, though. She's, she's been holding her patience. Yes, yep. Right, yeah. Yes, yep. Yep. Right. So the, the trick and the key is, I guess I should say the trick, the key is, let's walk so close to Jesus that there's little chance of us being drifted away even by a step, right? So the idea is we want to walk so close to Jesus, not as close to the world. And I've had people say this, well, you know, they walk as close to the line without sinning. Man, I want to walk as close to Jesus as possible, right? So that's the idea there. So, all right, in conclusion, real quick, 
because I want to give you guys these. There's always three kind of like application points that the curriculum gives us. Uh, one thing that encourages us to do is embrace the truth. So this is asking God to show you any places in your life where you've replaced his truth with your individual truth. So that's big today, right? Personal truth, your truth, my truth, that there's truth and there's error. So again, Jesus's truth is the truth. Uh, chase darkness with light. I like this. Keep a list of times you find yourself living in darkness. Review your list at the end of each day and record how you could have lived in the light of Christ instead. So what are we doing? Anytime we feel that, make a list of that. And then, and then lastly, share the light. Ask God to give you opportunities to be his light in the darkness to those around you. So that's the kind of the conclusion to, or the application to the study. All right, let's go ahead and do this. We'll pray and let you guys be dismissed. And thank you so much for being here tonight. We invite you back Wednesday night, 645. This is Nerf night. So we'll be praying for that. Um, there is a chance of some snow Monday into Tuesday, I believe. And so we're praying that we'll be good for Wednesday nights, but be praying for that as well. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. And Lord, we do thank you for just your goodness and grace to us, Lord. We, we thank you for your wisdom that you give us from your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as followers of Christ to not live complacent lives, but to live so close to you, to desire to be your disciples, to, to want to be in the word and in prayer and with the body for encouragement and strength, Lord. And we live in a culture today that is very individualized, that it's my truth and your truth and what I think and what they think. But Lord, I pray you'd help us to walk in the light of your revealed truth, that you are the one that sets us free. That no one in Christ has to give in to a sin. And Lord, we know that we've all been tempted. We will be tempted. We know that we're susceptible to giving in. And we can at times feel that pressure. But I pray, Lord, that we would trust in the reality of who we are in Christ. And so, Father, for those times that we do stumble, thank you for your grace that holds on to us. We have not lost our salvation. We have not need of getting in again. You've, you've kept us and you will continue to hold on to us into the day of redemption. So, Father, thank you for the eternal life that you give unto us in Christ. It cannot be lost because it is guaranteed in the finished work of the cross and your resurrection. And so, Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word, which is truth, speaks into our lives, and so help us to live in a way that honors you. And again, Lord, we pray that we would all evaluate every single step we take for Christ to make sure that we're walking again closer to you and not farther away. Lord, thank you for all of this. We give you all the praise and all the glory and we ask it in Jesus name. Amen.